welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. This is Trisha, and my dog Mulder loves to eat a batata. Batata. I feel like I know what that is, but I don't remember what that is. What does it sound like? Potatoes. Yeah. It's a sweet potato. Hey, I was close. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, like Courtney said, welcome to Addicted to Murder. Um... Randall Woodfield, a.k.a. I-5 Killer Part 2. Yeah. Um, so, question time. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Courtney, what is your favorite Disney cartoon? Ooh. I just have a feeling you've watched a lot of Disney cartoons. I have watched a lot of okay. Disney cartoons. I kind of, for some reason, you give me that vibe. That's fair. People used to tell me that I looked like Snow White. I mean, I totally can see that. I was just (laughs) totally thinking that. Yep. Um, I'd have to say, I think my favorite is Mulan. I've never seen that one. You've never seen Mulan? I haven't seen like any new one since like 2000, since like Lion King. Mulan was like totally like 1998. It was prior. Okay. Since like Lion King was like the last cartoon I've seen. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hakuna Matata. Well, you should watch Mulan because it is amazing and it has the best songs of any Disney movie, in my humble opinion. Anyone feel free to weigh in on that because I, mm-hmm. I have no clue if she's telling me the truth. It's the truth. I mean, I sort of impartial to The Little Mermaid. I mean, Little Mermaid is good. Yeah. But uh, what is your favorite? The Sword of the Stone. Oh, okay. I love... Classic. I love the um, little squirrel when he turns into the squirrel and then the other squirrel falls in love with him and then he's trying to get her off and (laughs) it's like so sweet and then it's sad when he turns back into a human and breaks her little squirrel heart but that is a good moment i like that movie very cute it's old and and um i guess second place would have to be um robin hood Ooh, also a good one yeah Mm -hmm. so that's just i guess aging me got it it's telling us that like six year age difference that we have it's huge. It is. Yeah. In the world of Disney, apparently. Well, I mean, when I was a junior in high school, you were in fifth grade. There's no way I would have hung out with you on purpose. I might have babysat you. That's true. <laughs> I would have made you watch Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> well. All right, Courtney, will you give us a brief overview? Yeah. So last time we introduced you to Randall Woodfield, a.k.a. Randy. Um, oh, Sorry. He hates being called Randy, and that's why I'm calling him Randy. Plus, everybody called him Randy, even though he hated it. Yeah. So we met him. We learned all about his fairly idyllic childhood growing up as the sports star of his junior high and high school, good student. Um, Everyone thought he was very attractive, but he had a lot of self-doubt. He didn't like that his sisters got things that he didn't get. And so he started exposing himself to people and couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And so even as he was playing college football and probably getting a lot of chicks, he still felt bad about himself. But where we left off, he was about to have all of his dreams come true. When he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Right. And, you know, Courtney, you do bring up a good point. He, as far as we can tell, had a good childhood. Um, 
I mean, he claims that he didn't feel like he could live up to his parents' expectations, but, and maybe that's true, I don't know, but as far as, like, abuse and neglect, there didn't seem to be that going on. Nope, his parents were educated, they didn't use physical discipline at all, Mm -hmm. Um, there wasn't even, you know, any sort of suspicions about, like, emotional abuse. Yeah. Just high expectations. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes these things happen to people with good parents. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can blame his parents for this one. Nope. Nope. Not that we can ever totally blame anyone's parents, but this was all on him. So. Right. Um, So, and a couple other things. He did get arrested two or three times. but For exposing himself to women. but never had to serve any jail time. So... Um, So, like we said, we left off where Randy got drafted by the Packers, and Randy signed his contract with the Packers on February 20th, 1974. He would be paid $16,000 for basically the first season. He would also get room and board and travel expenses paid for. There were also bonuses tied in to his contract, like if he achieved certain number of passes during a game or season or whatnot, and they would, like, throw in another $3,000 or whatever it was. But for the contract to remain valid, Randy had to sign that he would keep himself in top physical condition. He would refrain from drinking or doing drugs. He would not gamble. And he needed to wear nice clothes while in public. There was no morality clause in his contract with the NFL. Um, The NFL must not have done a very good background check on Randy because he did have a record. So... Anyhow, Randy went to Scottsdale for training camp that year, and after training camp, he returned to Portland and waited for further instruction from the Packers. He was sent a first-class ticket to Green Bay to officially start the season, but something happened. Um, He was cut from the traveling squad, and Randy would claim that the Packers didn't treat him well. He said they used him as a, quote, tackling dummy more than a player. It isn't totally clear why Randy was cut. He denies any wrongdoing, but later reports say that he exposed himself between 10 and 20 times while in Wisconsin and was cut due to that. Randy did stay in Green Bay for a while, and he played on the farm team, which is like an extension team. He loved that, and he loved the adoration from the fans, even if it was, you know, the offshoot of the Packers and not the Packers itself. Courtney, if it's true that Randy was cut for exposing himself in Wisconsin, um, it's becoming very clear that he must not be able to control his impulses. He made a professional football team and was most likely cut for exposing himself. It sounds kind of ridiculous to someone without this issue, but what's, I mean, is it possible that he's kind of like addicted to this? Kind of, yeah. You know, last time we touched on the fact that Kind of the common treatment approach for habitual sex offenders is very similar to substance abuse addiction treatment. Uh, You know, the level of satisfaction that Randy was getting from exposing himself was likely sort of as addictive to him as the feeling a meth addict gets when they're shooting up. Um, You know, it does not mean that he was completely powerless, um, just that he was certainly not trying at all to control his impulses. So um, when Randy went back to Portland after the whole Packers thing, he quit school three terms shy of graduating. He just reasoned that he'd gone to college to play football and now he'd blown it. So no point in getting his degree. Randy had several jobs bartending as well as working at an electronics firm. He was struggling to find his place in the world. Many of his high school friends had finished college and were starting families and, you know, 
he wasn't. He had a roommate by the name of Tim Rossi, and he had many short-term girlfriends during this time. So in early 1975, several women had been approached by a man in the dark in a park who was young and big, and they said um, dark hair, dark eyes. They were held at knife point and were made to fellatiate, fellate, sorry, their attacker until completion, so give oral sex. Prior to the attack, the man would expose himself to them and take their pocket money. This was all taking place at a place called Dunaway Park. Not sure where that is, but I'm sure people in the area know of it. Now, there was a badass policewoman named Annette Jolin, and she volunteered to go undercover to help catch this guy because it had been multiple women who had um, this happen to them. So one night while patrolling in the park as a civilian... And felt like someone was following her. But she forced herself to act natural, like she was a victim. And she knew she had backup ready to go if she gave the signal. She felt a knife blade on her neck. And when she turned around, the man demanded money. Annette gave over eight marked dollar bills to the man who then groped her breast and turned to go. Her backup crew stopped the man and promptly arrested. You guessed it. Good old Randy Woodfield. My, ma, how the mighty have fallen. Corny? So Randy was clearly struggling with the adjustment from, you know, sports star, big man on campus status to normal guy without a college degree, prospects, or NFL money. Um, You know, it must have been a pretty big blow to his ego not having these things to kind of fall back on in order to feel, you know, manly and successful or, you know, to lure women even. Um... And so without this sort of boost of sports fame, he seems to have kind of fallen back into the only other way he knew to prove his masculinity um, through, you know, sex. But he needed to kind of up the ante from just flashing himself to get the same return. Um, So that resulted in him escalating from exhibitionism to rape. Well, when Randy was arrested, he was charged with only second-degree robbery. I have no idea why, but the other charges of oral sodomy were dropped. I mean, WTF, that seems like the worst of the two. I don't understand how these charges can be dropped. All in all, out of all of the women that he sodomized and stole from, it was a total of $25 that he got. I mean, he obviously wasn't in it for the money. But that charge stayed, but the forcing of oral rape is dropped? Courtney, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts are that the rape charges were dropped either, you know, because he was arrested before actually making it to that step with the undercover officer. Um, And they're, especially back in the 70s, um, proving any sort of sexual assault cases in court was really hard. Um, So they probably figured they're most likely to get a guilty verdict on the robbery. Um, you know, or there's also that idea that maybe, I don't remember exactly what um, was said in the book, that he pled guilty and, like, took a plea. Okay. Well, it still makes me mad, but whatever. Before sentencing, Randy spoke with a state psychologist. Randy did seem to show remorse and said he had done all of the things that he was accused of. He seemed to be glad, actually, that he got caught and even suggested that he might need hospitalization for his illness. He acknowledged that his life got pretty much screwed up because of his sexual problems. He claimed that he could not control his sexual urges. He even tried religion, but that wasn't enough. During his time with the psychologist, they did test his IQ, and it was only 100. 
And that doesn't really make sense with how bright all of his teachers attested he was in school, but um, there you have it. Um, Here is the psychological assessment. This is a quote. It would be my opinion that Mr. Mr. Woodfield's problem is so severe as to be a very serious threat to the community. And although treating him as an outpatient might actually present him with a greater opportunity to be treated, I think this would present too great of a risk to the community. For the safety of the community, he needs to be in in be in an institutional setting. Excuse me. For the sake, <laughs> for the safety of the community, he needs to be in an institutional setting. However, the chance of being successfully treated in such a sitting setting is rather dim. So basically, he was too dangerous to be out of prison, but the outpatient therapy setting would be his best bet to get better. If he's in prison, you know, he'd be away from the public, but he wouldn't get the therapy he needed to improve enough, you know, not to be a threat. So what to do? Randy was sentenced to 10 years in prison for armed robbery. The judge decreed that based on the sexual nature of the offenses on the charges that were dropped, Randy should be placed in the program for sexually dangerous offenders in the psychiatric hospital of the state of Oregon rather than in a penitentiary. But that didn't happen. He went to general population in the state pen in Salem, Oregon in 1975. Courtney, what do you think about the the sentence and the psychological assessment? Do you think that he had, if he had gone to the psychiatric hospital instead of the prison, he may have been treated properly and his later rampage may have been avoided altogether? I think that the, you know, sentence of 10 years is appropriate for armed robbery. Um, I think obviously had the sexual um, charges gone through, I would expect and want a much longer sentence. Um, But hey, compared to Robert Hansen, um, you know, the courts were actually taking Randy pretty seriously. Um, So even if it wasn't ideal, it was at least something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it is possible that had he been you know, sent to the psychiatric hospital instead and given tools to manage sexual urges, um, you know, it could be effective. It could have helped, but it's hard to say. Um, You know, there's also that idea that the state hospital would also then have more leniency to release him earlier than the 10 years if he was making enough progress, so to speak. Um, So there's that kind of back and forth on is he getting enough consequences mm-hmm. versus getting treatment and what's more important? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is similar to Robert Hansen. I mean, the judge was in the same quandary. Right, I mean, exactly. With outpatient versus inpatient and, you know, all that. Right, but this was, you know, Randy's first real trial Yeah, as opposed true. to his, like, fourth or fifth. Right, and he didn't have – this was, like, his first violent crime. Right. So apparently Randy was a bit pissed off that he was in prison. And at first he made that known he was not a model prisoner. He was also really angry that many of the guards in the prison were female. He would have to use the restroom in front of them, you know, like when he do drug testing and other things. And he had a huge problem with it. He grew a beard in prison, which wasn't allowed. And he had high top shoes smuggled in. He said that he had these um, shoes smuggled in because he had bad ankles and knees from all the sports he did. 
Luckily for him, because he was not charged with the oral sodomy charges, he did not have the sexual deviant stigma that can be very tricky in prison. He eventually did make friends. He cooked in the kitchen. He took some college courses. He actually did well in college, getting mostly A's and B's. He lifted weights, played basketball, ran track, and did other activities that gave him a very muscular build. Apparently, Randy bulked up a lot in prison. He would write to old girlfriends and keep in touch with many folks on the outside. I assume if he did have them, he would send photos of himself to those on the outside. That's just kind of how he was. I imagine he was an intimidating specimen, prison bulk and all. Randy eventually learned how to work the system, to play nice and tell the psychologist what they wanted to hear, basically to show remorse for what he had done. And he was paroled four years into his 10-year sentence, and he was a free man in July of 1979. Ironically, his parole officer was a woman, which he was not too happy about. Courtney, thoughts on this shortened sentence? It is what it is, I guess. You know, does it seem like Randy actually learned his lesson or was impacted by the consequence of prison? Not really. Um, You know, and the fact that he was not labeled as a sex offender um, upon his release allowed him to continue to just get away with a slap on the wrist for his sexually assaultive behaviors. Yeah, I mean, in this case, I can see since his sentence was for armed robbery and it was a small amount, I could see him getting out early. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, unfortunately, you know, because he didn't get the sex offender title, Mm -hmm. he was, you know, no one really knew what was going on with him. And he was just released back into the wild. Right. Yeah. Randy didn't waste much time when he got out of prison and he started to date a lot. His little black book now contained 255 women's numbers. I don't even know 255 women. I don't think I do either. Or people. Like, anyway. Not that I talk to enough right. to have the phone number. <laughs> it's like Sam Malone in Cheers. <laughs> You're probably too young for that. I know who that is. All right, then. <laughs> he switched to bartending full-time as this was a better job for meeting women. Randy met and moved in with Moira Bandon. I don't know why I said it that way. With Moira Bandon. Soon later, Moira came down with herpes. Um, this would not be the first woman that Randy would give the gift that keeps on giving to. Eventually, they broke up and Randy moved out. But before he did, he decided to give her a naked photo of himself so that she would remember him. But she had the herpes, so whatever. Randy still liked young girls. 16, 17 seemed to be his preferred age. Randy moved a lot or moved around a lot during this time, and his parole officer had a hard time keeping track of where he lived and what job he had. He was suspected of stealing money from one of his employers to the tune of $3,000, but was never charged. After that, he um, struggled to find work in a bar because he kind of had been blacklisted after he stole money from the other bar that he worked at. Randy continued to write and keep in contact with many of the women in his little black book. He would send them nude or semi-nude pictures of himself. I don't know what these women did with them. It's not like they requested them, but, you know. Randy even submitted a photo of himself to Playgirl magazine. And in May 1980, Playgirl responded that he may be put into the Boy Next Door issue. And Randy was so excited. However, he was never selected for Playgirl magazine. I feel like they dodged a bullet there. Courtney, any thoughts on him giving naked photos to people who don't ask for them? 
I mean, it just goes to show that men have always been sending unwanted dick pics. <laughs> um, but, you know, seriously, it really, it's just another form of exhibitionism. Yeah. He's shocking people with pictures of his genitals when they don't want it. You know, it's kind of bizarre because, you know, it kind of comes down, it seems like, to him having low self-esteem. And yet he sends, to me, like the most intimate part of himself he's sending pictures to be judged by others it's weird right and it is that sort of like almost has like a narcissistic flair Mm -hmm. to it of like he he feels really good Mm -hmm. about his penis Mm -hmm. not about any other part of himself yeah but about that yeah it's bizarre but you know it's just because i don't think that way so to me it's odd but you do not have penis envy as freud would suggest all women have uh, Freud, he's fun. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I enjoyed learning about him in psychology classes. And then, like, what about Bob? This is a total offshoot, but mm-hmm. I love that movie. What about Bob? And like, yeah. you notice he named his daughter Anna and his son Siggy. Mm-hmm. So, yep, good times. All right, offshoot back back to where we were. In 1980, Randy now lived with Lucy Grant in Lake Grove, Oregon. He would still try to meet girls even when he was in relationships. And during this time, he met 17-year-old Julie Reitz, who he allowed basically to sneak into one of the taverns he was working at because she was underage. Randy took advantage of this young girl mentally and physically. He would push her to her limits on what she was comfortable doing and like sort of love-bombed her. She had no clue that he had a girlfriend that he was living with. And in fact, she came to the bar one time and got really mad when she saw him with Lucy. And he, she became hysterical. She's screaming and called him an asshole and then ran out, you know, in tears. And Lucy had no idea Randy had been seeing Julie. I don't even, I'm sure he just said, oh, that was just a crazy girl. And she was like, what's with this little girl screaming at you? So remember, Randy was 13 years older than Julie, so he was 30 at this time. And we're introducing Julie to you because she will come into play later. Randy and Lucy did end up breaking up as Lucy wanted to date other men. And this solidified, again, what Randy felt about women. They only betrayed him and they could not be trusted. And it's such a double standard since he was seeing other women. But, oh well. Mm Mm-hmm. He's not uh, – he's a bit of a chaotic thinker. Or <laughs> right. He would whatever. not have seen that logic. Yeah. So remember that while Randy was in prison for that four-year time, he had been writing letters to lots of his classmates. One of them was named Sherry Lynn Ayers, and um, she even helped coordinate Randy's homecoming party slash kind of a class reunion from prison when he got out. But on October 10th, 1980, Sherry's fiancé came home to find his girlfriend murdered. She had been bludgeoned on the head and stabbed many times in the neck. Randy had been found to have visited her several times since his prison release, and he was questioned by police, and he refused to take a polygraph test. Sherry had been raped, and they found secretions in her vagina, but little else in physical evidence. So I'm not too attuned to what they mean by secretions because it's not DNA that they're talking about Um, because they said that the secretions could have been left by someone she had sex with or it could even be her own secretions. So it's very like primitive type of typing, evidence typing. Um, And the secretions did not match Randy's blood type. So those secretions were not his. However, 
that doesn't mean that he didn't do it um, because he could have used a condom or something like that mm-hmm. or not ejaculated in her. Anyhow, um, there was very little physical evidence and um, basically they just didn't have enough to hold Randy and so he was not charged for that. But the detectives still thought Randy may have had a hand in it. And uh, Randy visited his old roommate sometime in 1980. And you remember Tim over at Treasure Valley? Yep. Yep. And Tim was also having, <clears throat> excuse me, girlfriend struggles. He had just broken up with his longtime girlfriend. Her name was Darcy because he had moved to Tacoma to accept a job. And apparently Randy was very upset by Darcy breaking Tim's heart. Tim said in a later interview that it was almost as if Randy were the one who was dumped by Darcy because he was so upset. So on Thanksgiving of that year, the bodies of 1980, the bodies of Darcy and her new boyfriend, Doug, were found in Darcy's apartment in Portland, Oregon, and the two of them had been shot execution style. Tim learned about the murders from Randy the following day by telephone. And apparently Tim was shocked. He had just visited Doug and Darcy two days prior. I guess they were on good terms and friendly. Um, when Tim spoke to detectives, he told the cops that Darcy had a small gun that her father had given her. It was unregistered and it was missing. Randy again was questioned in this double homicide, but again there was no physical evidence to tie him to the crime. And to this day, these two murders have not been solved and the gun is still missing. Um, you know, I guess Tim could be a suspect, but he was eliminated. Um, but Courtney, what do you think? It, it, it's, these murders took place like within two, a month of each other. Um, and it was people that Randy knew and had been in contact with and had been around. Do you think that, uh, it was Randy? I would say I firmly believe that there's a high likelihood that Randy was involved Mm -hmm. in these, um, you know, I feel like there's just too much, like, coincidental evidence for him mm-hmm. to not be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we live in a a place of innocent till proven guilty. Right. So. Right. Well, um, Randy continued to hit on as many women as he could. As Anne Rule writes, quote, he was like a starving man let loose in a bakery, a man who snatched at everything he saw taking one bite of every delicacy and then throwing it away before he could even savor it. If one, if one woman was good, two were better. He really focused on the young girls because those closer to his age saw through him. They didn't give him the time of day once they figured out what he was about. The younger girls, though, were easily enamored by his good looks and charm and charisma. Plus, he would lay on a sob story about his sad childhood and that his life was oh so tragic. He would fall hard and fast for women, and if they gave him any indication that they were interested, he would, like, hold their hand at the bar on the first meeting and talk about love at first sight. So if you read the book, it it kind of says, like, his typical night of hitting on women is he'd go up to one at the bar. He'd sit down. If they made a connection, it was, I love you, holding the hands. If they brushed him off, he would just move on down the bar. Mm -hmm. So very bizarre behavior. He would beg to be allowed to go home with them, and he would say, like, I'll sleep on your couch. But, you know, really, he just spread herpes everywhere he went. And Rule suggests that Randy was actually terrified of women and terrified that he may not be masculine enough to handle them. So 
What do you think, Courtney, about his nearly frenzied behavior to sleep and well, not just sleep with women, but to make these connections? So I've got a new diagnosis for you. Um, I believe that Randy might have what is called histrionic personality disorder. And, you know, I kind of hate the name histrionic because um, it's based on the previously kind of catch-all diagnosis hysteria that women were diagnosed with for having, you know, normal human thoughts and feelings back in the day. Um, and, I mean, kind of knowing what this diagnosis is, it sort of fits with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but officially, you know, the DSM-5 defines histrionic personality disorder as, quote, a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention-seeking, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following symptoms. So someone who is uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention, um, Their interactions with others is often characterized by inappropriate, sexually seductive, or provocative behaviors, like, you know, sending dick pics of himself, Mm -hmm. Um, has and displays um, shifting and shallow expression of emotions, so their emotions seem like they're all over the place, but they're not real deep, Mm -hmm. Um, consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to themselves has a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic and lacking in detail. What does that mean? Um, So basically, um, they, for example, might express really strong opinions about something, Mm -hmm. but then, like, don't have anything to back it up. Mm. So it's like they're grandiose for attention, but really don't have the ammunition to, like, back up what they're saying. Kind of, yeah. Like for attention? It is absolutely for attention, yeah. Okay. Um, They would um, display self-dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion. They are suggestible, so easily influenced by others or the circumstance that they're in. And they consider relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. So if... These things don't sum up Randy. Um, I don't really know what else does. I feel like reading all of them, it was like, check, Mm -hmm. check, check. Right. Um, Interesting. So a histrionic personality disorder is a personality disorder, and it's in the cluster B family. Yes. And along with that is narcissistic personality disorder. Yes. The antisocial personality disorder Mm -hmm. and borderline personality disorder. Is there another one? Nope. Okay. So the cluster B's. Gotcha. Is there a cluster A? There is a cluster A. um, And that's more like the schizotypal personality disorder or like schizoid personality disorder, paranoid personality. With delusions. Kind of. Kind of. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's awesome that we have a new personality disorder. And, um, you know, Randy's pretty interesting. (laughs) It's kind of a... I don't want to say a refreshing change, but it's, you know, there's more than just narcissists out there and whatever. Right, exactly. You know, and I think we can see over, like, his patterns of behavior, right, it might look like narcissism, mm-hmm. right, like 
oh my gosh, I'm so hot. I'm going to mm-hmm. send these pictures to women who don't want them mm-hmm. or, um, you know, things like that. But really it's he sort of desperately is looking for attention mm-hmm. and acceptance and is using physical appearance and sexuality to try and get that. Because it must be the only thing about him that he considers worth anything of value. Right. It's his appearance, his penis size, Mm -hmm. whatever. Right, exactly. And, you know, it is, it's actually pretty rare to find, um, you know, men with histrionic personality Mm -hmm. disorder. It's much more common in women, um, which I think, you know, given the way that, you know, people, women are socialized, Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense. Yeah. far more often socialized to use our sexuality um, or to think that that's the only thing that is valuable about us. Mm-hmm. I agree. But it, I still feel like it very, very clearly fits, you know, Randy and his behaviors. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it does as well based on what you just told us. So that's awesome. Okay. So by this time, Randy had burned many bridges in the Portland area. He had been fired from numerous jobs, suspected of stealing from a bar that he worked at, and now he had been questioned not once, but twice in two different homicide crimes. Well, three if you count the fiancé. There was three dead bodies. Mm-hmm. He decided it was deti- it was time for a change of pace and maybe a new base of operations and a whole new career. So he decided to call up one of his old prison buddies, Tony Neary, and they decided to join forces. And that's where we're going to stop today. Yes. And now, Courtney, we'll go over the social media. I will. So if you are enjoying our podcast and want to tell us all about it, mm-hmm. you can send us an email at addictedtomurderpodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram at addictedtompodcast. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Addicted to Murder Podcast. Yeah, and if you guys ever, um, you know, have further questions on what Courtney is talking about, like say you're like, hey, I might know someone that has histrionic personality disorder, or maybe I have histrionic personality disorder, or or any of the stuff, please feel free to send us an email. Um, Oh, yeah. I'm a big nerd about all this stuff, and I love talking about it. So if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. I mean, obviously, it's not like a diagnosing tool, but, you know, right. in general, mm-hmm. you can, you know, answer some questions if something comes up when you listen to one of these podcasts, because that's what we hope to do. Yeah. Or if you're just like, that sounds really interesting, and I want to know more about it. Recommend me a book. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll come back with Randy uh, Woodfield. Part three next week. Yeah. And until then, you know, be safe and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.